BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. An early winter leaves a fresh coat of snow on southeastern Michigan, just as a bizarre murder is revealed. It looked like she had been beaten about the face, and there were some circular marks on her abdomen. It was someone's twisted idea of torture. At first, investigators must deal with less than ideal weather conditions. They were experiencing freezing temperatures, snow, even fog. But secrets and lies are eventually uncovered with the help of Mother Nature. I knew something was not right. He pointed the gun at her and said, I think, I think you're lying. It was probably the only time in my career that I was happy the weather had been there to do what it did. West Bloomfield Township in southeastern Michigan has the best of two worlds. Home to more than 60,000 people, the area has no shortage of green space, while the big city is less than an hour commute. It's located probably 30, 35 miles from downtown Detroit. Uh, it's basically a bedroom community, uh, fairly affluent. And the weather is just as mixed. Here, summers are hot and winters are freezing. In fact, they can be downright brutal. The winter is terrible. It's like one of them things you look out the door and just want to fly away. It's terrible winter. This part of Michigan can get snow about five months from November to April and just over about 50 days where temperatures stay below freezing. This is because of the area's proximity to the Great Lakes, which can create their own weather patterns. The lakes would be more compared to oceans. They extend for hundreds of miles. The lakes really do have a major effect on, on the, the daily weather. Whether it's rain, ice, snow, fog, mist, you name it, we have it. The worst of the winter season usually falls between December and early March. But in 1997, winter came early that year. On uh, November 13, 1997, uh, it was below normal temperatures for the day. That night, around midnight, the temperature fell down into the 30s, below freezing, and we received a snowstorm. The earlier than normal burst of winter weather would soon be a key player in helping police solve one of the area's most sensational murders. With temperatures just above freezing, an unusual 911 call comes into the Genesee County Sheriff's Department. A group of uh, fishermen had gone to a park in Flint um, on the Flint River and found like a mound of snow and there was some different colored material in the snow there. They thought it was just blankets or a pile of clothes until they got closer and kicked the pile. And a, he realized that what he just kicked was a shoe with a foot in it. 
Recognizing this was a dead body, the fisherman called 911 right away. When officers arrived to the scene, they immediately sensed foul play. They knew that it was a possible homicide just by the position of the body and how it was wrapped. The officers informed Genesee County homicide. As detectives make their way to the park, they are keenly aware of the weather. The wind was blowing, there was flurries. We knew that all those issues, along with the cold, would affect um, our determinations of what had occurred. You have to think of like, what types of um, methods would you use to protect evidence from any further damage from falling snow or from melting snow? Walking toward the body, detectives noticed possible critical evidence along the way. There was tire tracks in the snow, and the tracks had drove into the parking lot, stopped, and looked like something was drugged from the car, and then drove away. The recent snowfall gives investigators an idea of when the tire tracks were made. There had been snowfall overnight, but there wasn't enough to totally obliterate the tire tracks. And we know at like at one o'clock was the peak of the snow time and the tire tracks were deep in the snow. So we know at sometime after 1 a.m. that those tracks were made. Because the weather can change at any moment, officers take photos and measurements of the tracks before they melt. But unfortunately, they're unable to use plaster casts. In the snow, well, those plaster casts aren't usually very productive because it's a warm material putting on a cold item. Investigators inspect the area quickly for shoe prints, but have no idea which ones are relevant. This is a park area, and there were numerous other footprints in the snow. You've got the fishermen had walked up to it. So if there were prints, they might have stepped on them. There might have been just enough snow to cover footprints up. As the temperature starts to rise, any usable prints are at risk of disappearing. We started to lose evidence of the tire tracks as they were melding. It just wasn't anything that we could use at that point. And then there was like a ground fog. Radiation fog is when the ground loses heat, loses radiation to the atmosphere. Eventually, the temperature makes it to the dew point and fog forms. Ideally, you're looking for clear skies, light winds, and moist air to have this occur. It just made it the scene more difficult to process because it was harder to search the area um, see what we were seeing. Investigators decide to focus on the victim. They examined the body and saw that it was a white female and she was wrapped in what looked like a bedspread, multicolored bedspread. We had to estimate the age between 25 and 45. Um, she was dressed in a maroon shirt that had a restaurant name of South Boulevard on it and then she was wearing black jeans but she had one shoe off, one pant leg off. Although she has no identification on her, it's clear the victim suffered horribly before she died. It looked like she had been beaten about the face. Her shirt was pulled up and there were some uh, circular marks on her abdomen there that were probably two to three inches in diameter. Some were almost perfectly circular in a pattern, um, which we, at that point had no idea what would have caused those because there did not appear to be anything um, externally placed on her. Based off of the lack of blood at the scene, investigators don't believe this is where the victim was killed. It was apparent that this was a body drop, that this was not the actual crime scene. We had a secondary crime scene that we had to find. 
But one thing's for sure, this woman was tortured. This put the investigation into a different level. Someone harmed this woman, and someone took a long time to do it. It's more of a crime of being angry with this person directly or having been disrespected, something more personal. As detectives continue to examine the body, they can't help but notice a familiar scent. There was a distinct smell of gasoline in and around the body, on the body. It was apparent that someone tried to burn the body. But why didn't they? As investigators continue with the snowy crime scene, they soon realize how the winter weather is about to be their biggest ally in finding a killer. This is the first case that I was involved in that the weather actually assisted us in the investigation. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Genesee County, Michigan investigators are at the scene of a horrific discovery. A woman's badly beaten and tortured body dumped in a snowy park near the Flint River. It was only November, but this area had already gotten below freezing temperatures. The early winter weather has already thrown up hurdles for police with melting snow and ground fog, but it has also helped them. There were tire tracks found, and we assume that some of these tracks were from the vehicle used to transport the body. We did measure the width of the tire tracks. So we know that sometime after 1 a.m. that those tracks were made. So we kind of had a little of a timeline there. As investigators examined the body closer, they noticed that whoever dumped the body there also tried to burn it. They found the blanket and that the woman herself reeked of gasoline. We noticed that there was a path of leaves, almost like a fuse. Um, right to the body. That patch had a strong odor of gasoline. But the body itself wasn't burned. Although they can't be positive, it appears to investigators that Mother Nature may have intervened. Most likely the snowfall that was there prevented that trail from being continuous, and therefore the body never got lit on fire. If not for the snow, the body may have been destroyed leaving them with little to glean. What could have been a disaster for the investigation actually gave them clues. And it might even help investigators solve two of their major problems. We didn't know who our victim was. From there, we wanted to know how she died. As the body is taken to the medical examiner for an autopsy, investigators head back to the station. We checked with the other 26 police agencies in Genesee County see if they had any missing person reports that matched the description of our victim. However, the way she was dressed, we were hoping that maybe someone could identify her. She had a uh, pullover shirt on that had a logo that said South Boulevard Station. So now investigators had a place to go to try to identify the woman. That evening, detectives speak with the manager at the restaurant. They showed him a Polaroid picture that they had taken at the scene of the victim. The manager of the restaurant looked at the photo and he said, yes, I know this person. 
She's identified as 45-year-old Nancy Billiter, a part-time waitress there. We started to develop uh, a history, if, if you will, of Nancy Billiter. Born and raised in Auburn Hills, Michigan in 1952, Nancy Ray Billiter always dreamed of helping others. When she was younger, she aspired to be a nurse, um, but life went on. She got married, had a child, um, ended up getting a divorce. She was having some economic struggles, and so um, it was a difficult time in Nancy's life. Nancy moved back in with her mother until she could get back on her feet. She got a little sidetracked in life um, with a drug habit, and that kind of side-railed some of her aspirations. By the mid-1990s, however, Nancy became a grandmother and was trying to turn her life around. She was helping raise her grandson and had even enrolled in nursing school. Nancy was clean of drugs. Nancy wasn't doing any drugs. She wasn't drinking anymore. She was working really hard at it. In 1996, at 44 years old, Nancy worked as a nursing assistant at a local hospital and also as a part-time waitress. Nancy was studying to become a registered nurse. She was uh, do her homework and work at the same time. Nancy's coworkers said how much they enjoyed working with her. She was outgoing. She was friendly. She was very well-liked. She made very good tips, had lots of friends. One of them was a hospital co-worker, 26-year-old Carol Giles. She had uh, met Carol Giles uh, at St. Joe's Hospital in Pontiac, Michigan, and um, actually struck up a friendship with her. Carol was married to a much older man, 42-year-old Jesse Giles, the rock of his family. He was that person who uh, give you his shirt off his back, pay your rent, feed your kids. Um, he was like a big teddy bear. They had two young children together, while Jesse had two older children from previous relationships. Carol's personality was sassy. At the time, me and her had a wonderful relationship. She was like a sister to me. By the following year, however, Carol was struggling. Jesse Giles had dealt with some pretty severe health challenges, diabetes, heart disease, a stroke. She helped Jesse with his insulin injections. So twice a day, she would inject Jesse with his insulin. Carol told Nancy about how difficult it was to care for a husband with serious health challenges and also care for her two children. Being the kind-hearted friend, Nancy offered to help out the couple. My dad and Nancy got along really well. Um, she was really bubbly. I can't even tell you a time I ever seen her look mean or not smile. Nancy was like an auntie to me. Nancy would pick up Carol's children from school if that was what Carol needed. She would babysit. But then on September 28, 1997, the Giles family was stunned when Jesse suddenly died of a heart attack. That day, it was hard, and it was like I was in a state of shock for a while. Carol ended up needing Nancy more than ever. She was the friend, and I would almost want to say best friend, that stepped up to do the most to help Carol in this situation. That October, Nancy moved into the basement of Carol's home in West Bloomfield, Michigan. Nancy agreed to 
live with Carol for a short period of time to help her with her children, to get her over this kind of a hump of suddenly losing a spouse. She was just a person that helped other people. But now, less than two months later, Nancy's life has been brutally cut short. Genesee County investigators are now at the South Boulevard Station restaurant where Nancy worked, hoping to find some answers. We talked to coworkers and friends. It was a pretty close group of people that worked at the South Boulevard restaurant. Some of Nancy's other coworkers said that she attracted a lot of attention from the male customers. That's when detectives learned that Nancy last worked two days earlier on November 12th and left around 10 p.m with one of those customers. Could Nancy have been attacked by the man who drove her home? Investigators thought it could be someone that she knew. This wasn't a stranger killing. He was the last person to see her alive. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. November 14, 1997, in Genesee County, Michigan, early winter weather has helped investigators in their hunt for the killer of 45-year-old Nancy Billiter. The snow not only showed tire tracks, but it prevented a grisly effort by the killer to destroy the body by setting it on fire. That's partly our belief that the snowfall that was on the ground at that time, the snow falling, prevented them from actually lighting the body. Because of this, Investigators were able to identify Nancy through her shirt, which had the logo of the South Boulevard Station restaurant where she worked. Genesee investigators have just learned that Nancy was last seen around 10 p.m. on November 12th, after her shift ended. She had attempted to get a ride home that night, and her rides kind of fell through. One of the customers at the, the restaurant there, who's like a regular customer, offered to give her a ride home. He borrowed a, another waitress's car and then ended up taking Nancy home. But the next day, they say that Nancy didn't show up for work, which was unusual. The manager there, I think, was concerned about it, but I don't believe he called the police. Knowing Nancy was beaten fiercely and tortured, detectives ask about the patron that took her home. But her co-workers say that after he dropped Nancy off, he returned to the bar. His knuckles were clean. His face was didn't have any bruises. He certainly didn't have time to inflict the kind of damage that police had seen on Nancy. And but he didn't have a car, so he wouldn't have been able to drop the body all the way off in Flint without borrowing someone's car, which would have taken a lot longer than the time he, he left the restaurant to get and get back. There was no suggestion at all that he had been involved. 
Investigators learned from the manager that Nancy's mother's nearby. They head there next. Her mother lived a few blocks away from the restaurant, so they proceeded there. When investigators arrive, they give her the sad news about her daughter, and she's devastated. But when police ask about her daughter being dropped off two nights earlier after work, her mom tells investigators that Nancy doesn't live there. She said Nancy would come and go. She wasn't a permanent residence there. She said she was staying with a girlfriend. She thought it was West Bloomfield. She says it was a woman named Carol who she met at the hospital where she worked part-time. We were able to identify Carol as being Carol Giles, and she was currently renting a house in West Bloomfield Township. Later that night, investigators arrive at the home where Nancy had lived with 26-year-old Carol Giles. It's a long driveway. There was actually snow on the ground and one set of tire tracks leaving. Um, we didn't see any cars in the driveway. The snow hadn't melted here. Temperatures were still in the 30s. That kept the ground cold and kept the snow from melting. I wanted to take a measurement of those tire tracks, but first we knocked on the door. There was no answer. So detectives take a quick measurement of the tracks in the snow and are surprised by what they find. They were the same width within a half an inch of what we had measured back in Flint. So now we kind of had an idea of just maybe this was the start of something here. As they began to pull away from the house, a car pulled into the driveway. So they returned, and this is where they met Carol Giles. As detectives sit down with Carol, they soon uncover the twisted and torturous story behind Nancy Billiter's murder. He had Nancy tied up. How was she tied? Um, she was on her back. Shredded. It's impossible to imagine that somebody would do that to another person. On an unusually cold November day, the beaten and tortured body of 45-year-old Nancy Billiter has been found in a snowy park in Flint, Michigan. When I got the phone call that Nancy had passed, I didn't know how or what to think because my dad just died. But I was devastated. I didn't get to say bye to her. Investigators believe the wintry precipitation prevented her killer from burning the body and destroying evidence. The early arrival of winter that year helped police in their investigation. After matching the size of the snowy tire tracks in the driveway of Carol's home to the ones at the crime scene, investigators see Carol pull up. I walked up to her, introduced myself, and I told her that we were there to talk to her about Nancy Billiter. Carol invites the detectives into her home out of the cold. Inside, they break the news that Nancy has been murdered and Carol appears distraught. She told investigators that Nancy had been everything she wanted in a friend and in a, in a roommate. She had helped with the children and Carol wasn't sure what she was gonna do now. 
Carol confirms that someone dropped Nancy off the evening of Wednesday, November 12th, and that was the last time she saw her. And I said, that's not true. Even though I didn't know it, I said, that's not true. I have witnesses that put her here on the 13th. And she quickly changed her story and said, well, yes, she was here on the 13th, but then after that, I didn't see her. When she lied, I knew she was hiding something. The following evening, detectives sit down with Carol at the station. We started getting information from her, how her and Nancy became friends, who else was living in the residence, found out there was two minor children living there that belonged to her deceased husband and that he had just recently died. When detectives tell her that they know she's holding something back from them, Carol breaks down and agrees to tell them everything she knows. Carol says that Wednesday night, she was with her boyfriend, 28-year-old Tim Collier. They became acquainted as they're all employees at St. Joseph Hospital in Pontiac. Carol was a secretary, he was a janitor. According to Carol, their friendship soon turned into an affair. I was still married when, when I started seeing him. After Jesse Giles had passed away, Collier kind of moved into the house, was there most of the time, basically living there with Carol. It was a natural step, according to Carol, just to move him in along with Nancy to help her get over this grief. According to Carol, she and Tim were planning a future together. And on November 4th, they had taken a trip to Tim's home state of California to look for a place to live. I called Nancy Saturday from California, and she told me that the house was broken into Friday. She told him that some jewelry and some cash was stolen, and Tim and Carol said, well, we'll take care of it when we get back. I told Tim what happened. He said he, he thinks Nancy did it. I told him I didn't know who did it. Carol says they got home from their California trip on Wednesday, November 12th. According to Carol, she put her kids to bed around 10 p.m. when Nancy came home from work after being dropped off. They followed Nancy to the basement where she slept and Tim immediately confronted her. He said, I think you're the one that broke into the house. And no, I wouldn't break into the house. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't steal anything from Carol. Carol says that's when Tim pulled out a gun. He had a pistol in his hand, 45 caliber pistol that had formerly belonged to her deceased husband. He pointed the gun at her and said, I think, I think you're lying. You broke into the house. And then uh, he had hit her with the gun. And I heard a noise upstairs, so I went. Carol says she went upstairs to check on the kids. And when she came back, Tim had lost control. He had Nancy tied up. How was she tied? Um, she was on her back, spread eagle. Her wrists were tied to the bed by, by the use of a pantyhose, and Collier was beating her. So the pantyhose came from somewhere else. Right, I don't know where they came from. For hours, Nancy is beaten, but Carol says she was too scared to stop Tim. He had pointed the gun at me. She had two little children in the house to protect. So she wasn't going to try to, you know, physically intervene with a guy who's beating her roommate with a gun. Detectives listen carefully as Carol calmly tells them that next, Tim asked her to do something horrific. But he gave me um, a syringe and told me to shoot her, you know, to shoot her with that. 
according to Carol. Tim made her inject battery acid uh, via the needle uh, into her back and into her stomach. The thought of being injected with battery acid just conjures up a horrible image. It seems like a god-awful thing to do to somebody. It also explains the strange marks on Nancy's body. Next, Carol says that Tim ordered her to soak a large towel with water, which he then used to smother Nancy to death. He was holding it on her face, and she was squirming and kicking. And then she stopped kicking. She, went just, she just laid there. According to Carol, they left Nancy's body in the basement. Then around 8 a.m., after the children went to school, Carol continued to do as Tim said. My car was parked backwards into the garage. He took her around by the trunk and, you know, he said, help me put her in. The two cleaned up, and then just after midnight, with the children asleep, they left to dispose of the body in Flint. That was Tim Collier's plan. He was uh, familiar with the Flint area. He'd lived in the Flint area for a while. As they looked for a dumping site, it started snowing. Once in Flint, Carol says that Tim drove them to a dimly lit park next to the Flint River. Then she confirms what detectives have long suspected. They pulled the body out of the car and drug it over to where they left it. Tim doused the body with $5 worth of gasoline. Then he gathered some leaves up to make a fuse, made this path of leaves because he didn't want to be standing next to the body when he lit it on fire. She says after dousing the trail with gas, Tim ordered her to light it up. She then just takes the lighter to the leaves. It starts to burn. She jumps in the car. They spin away. Carol looks back and sees that the fire is burning. They tried to burn away the evidence, but it didn't work because of the snow and the wet conditions. When they got back to West Bloomfield, Carol says Tim left to lay low for a while. Following her interview, detectives aren't sure what to think. What she told us about what happened with Tim was totally believable. It matched up with what we had found. We had enough to arrest Tim. But they're still not quite sure the level of her involvement. Even though she was implicating Tim, parts of her statement weren't plausible for a normal reaction of a, what was going on in that house. The manner of death did appear to be a little over the top for the, the fact that they just believed that she'd stolen from them. But detectives decide to send Carol and her children to a woman's shelter for now. We were going to have her uh, stay there. We, we knew she would be safe, because at this point, Collier was still out and about. But we knew that he was driving one of Carol's cars. Investigators are on the hunt for Tim Collier and set up surveillance around Carol Giles' home. We put out a, what's called a statewide be on the lookout or be all the, all the police agencies. We didn't know where he was. In Bloomfield Township, Michigan, police are looking for 28-year-old Tim Collier after his girlfriend, Carol Giles, confesses to being his unwilling accomplice in the murder of 45-year-old Nancy Billiter. We were wanted to arrest Carol, but not until we could uh, do further investigation. They also know that the snowy weather on the morning of the murder helped preserve Nancy's body, despite their best efforts to destroy it.
with Carol and her kids at a shelter for safety, Genesee and West Bloomfield police are watching her house. They've also put a BOL out on the car Tim Collier is driving, but they don't have to wait long to find him. Car pulls up to the house, and lo and behold, it's Tim Collier. They bring him to the police station, and initially he has a lot of swagger. He has an arrogant attitude. When detectives try and speak with him, Tim denies any wrongdoing. He was basically saying that, you know, I didn't do anything. He was, he was not being very cooperative. Even after he learns what Carol told police, Collier won't budge. Eventually, after a short period of time, he asks for an attorney. He's told he's under arrest for murder in Flint, and he's locked up. With Tim behind bars, police get a warrant to search Carol's house and car. Carol said she helped Tim clean up, but neither one of them did a very good job. Inside the basement, forensics experts find traces of blood spatter on the bedroom walls and multiple used syringes. They noticed that the um, comforter matched the curtains. There was a great smell of bleach in the basement. The frame of the bed was folded up and you know, taken apart. They went out into the garage and up in the rafters, they found underneath a blue tarp, the mattress and the box springs. And the mattress had what appeared to be some very large blood stains on it. Which later match Nancy's blood type. In Carol's car, there's also plenty of evidence left behind. They found a handwritten note about the visor um, with directions of how to get to Flint. It was in Carol's writing. There was also a, a probably a half-gallon container of battery acid found there. The evidence continues to pile up when they compare the tires to the tracks they found in the snow. And they corresponded. They were very similar in size and tread pattern. Everything police have found seems to confirm Carol's story. But later that day, when Nancy's autopsy is complete, it reveals a far more gruesome murder than Carol led on. There is no question that uh, Nancy had a long, dreadful, terrible death. It was not quick, and it, 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 it by any means. It was torturous. Although Nancy's body was outside for 24 hours, the early winter temperatures were beneficial to the examination. Environmental conditions were more helpful than harmful because of the preservation. At the time, temperatures were in the low 30s, so conditions were a lot like a refrigerator. Which helped the medical examiner determine what happened to Nancy. And as Carol described, Nancy suffered a horrible beating. There was uh, extensive blood force trauma and uh, the confluence of bruises over the face, the eye sockets and the nose. Even though they found evidence of Nancy being injected with battery acid, like Carol said, it's the amount of times that's most disturbing. There were multiple sites of injections. There was mid-belly area that was injected, lower belly area, the right thigh and right groin and outer aspect of the right thigh, as well as the right lower leg. Elbow bits were injected. These people tortured her. They physically beat her. They injected her with battery acid. We had signs and some evidence that there had been an attempted rape. This is so twisted. It was someone's twisted idea of torture. 
But what actually killed Nancy was asphyxiation. There was a large amount of, uh, of blood that was uh, aspirated into the airway that blocked the airway. The blood was generated from, uh, from the beating over the face. Detectives can't help but wonder why Tim would go to this extreme over Nancy stealing from them. This drawn out, protracted, torturous event uh, just seems over the top, way over the top. As investigators continue to gather evidence, the following day, Tim Collier has a change of heart and wants to talk after he finds out Carol isn't sitting in jail like he is. But when he speaks with detectives, his version of events is very different than his girlfriend's. Tim says Carol was angry that Nancy had stolen from her. Tim said, yeah, I was an accessory, but Carol did all this. The beating, the injections, and suffocating her with a towel, that was all Carol's doing, that he had no part of that. He's becoming, you know, enraged with her because she initially threw him under the bus. He did admit it was his idea to take and dump the body in Flint. He stated that Carol's the one who poured the gasoline, that Carol was the one who tried to light the body on fire. That was all Carol. Tim admits he helped Carol clean up the basement and get rid of the mattress. He told investigators the reason he did that is he just felt loyalty to his girlfriend. He wanted to help. He wanted to protect her. You have one suspect throwing the other under the bus, and the other one throws the other one. So somebody was lying. Determined to get to the truth, investigators will soon uncover even more disturbing revelations. He started asking questions like, can they exhume a body to see if someone's been murdered. And that detail just took this case to another level of strangeness. In 1997, an early winter snowfall in southeastern Michigan proved crucial in helping investigators catch the suspected killers of Nancy Billiter, Tim Collier, and Carol Giles. It was cold with temperatures in the low 30s. There was already snow on the ground, and now new snow falling on top of that. The snow revealed tire tracks from the vehicle that dumped her body. Weather really helped investigators figure out what happened because it helped preserve the crime scene, and it preserved those tracks. The cold, wet snow also prevented the killers from setting the body on fire, helping investigators quickly identify the victim as Nancy. They left without actually examining the body, and that ultimately led to their downfall. Weather can really have a profound impact at times. After Tim claims that it was actually Carol who killed Nancy, and he was just an accomplice, he then says something that takes police completely by surprise. He asks, um, how long can a body be buried and then dug up and still reveal evidence? He started asking questions like, can they exhume a body to see if someone's been murdered? When asked what he means, Collier tells investigators to talk to Carol about her dead husband. They called in an additional detective. It was tasked at that point of re-interviewing Carol. 
When confronted with Tim's strange remark, there's a dramatic change in Carol's demeanor. She immediately slumped down in the chair and said that she had killed him. According to Carol, Nancy's murder wasn't over an alleged theft. It was to cover up another murder. Carol says it was a demanding job taking care of Jesse and his health issues. He weighed 465 pounds, had high blood pressure, was diabetic, had to take insulin every day, which Carol gave him the insulin. Carol um, stated that she was tired of being his kind of a caretaker, that she knew she could never leave him. They lived in his big, beautiful West Bloomfield home. She wanted for nothing with my dad. Jesse was a good provider, but Carol admits that her world changed when she met Tim Collier. He was everything almost that Jesse Giles wasn't. He was fit, he was in shape, he was exciting. He was more her age. She said that she had fallen in love with Tim and they wanted to be a family together, she, Tim, and the kids. They started making hypothetical discussions on how they could get rid of Jesse. According to Carol, Tim devised a plan. Collier suggested that she could, instead of giving him just his insulin injection, she could give him an overdose of heroin. And due to his weight and everything, that no one would look into this at all. Carol admits that Tim bought the heroin, but she delivered the fatal shot. While Carol's telling the story about Jesse, she's crying. She, is, she actually, actually showed like some remorse. She says they thought they got away with it until a couple months later when Nancy overheard her on the phone. Carol said to Tim, I'm the one that killed Jesse. She was pretty confident actually that Nancy had heard her say that. And Tim was now worried that Nancy had also heard it. So the two decided they needed to get rid of Nancy to keep their secret from getting out. She admits that they'd been planning this for several weeks. She helped prepare the scene. They had the painting homes all tied in place. They had the battery acid and the syringes. It was all premeditated. Then, when Nancy came home, they led her down to the basement. They assaulted her, attacked her, and ended up killing her. I think that was their plan all along. After Tim and Carol's confessions, the authorities exhumed the body of Jesse Giles. Tissue samples were taken, sent out for toxicology, and they showed that the cause of death of Jesse Giles was a heroin overdose, which confirmed Carol's statement. Both Carol and Tim are charged with two counts of first-degree murder for the deaths of Nancy Billiter and Jesse Giles. I just felt betrayed. I felt like she took a bat and just hit me with it. It's hard to lose anybody, but it's even harder when someone have the nerve to take them from you. In 1998, Carol Giles and Tim Collier go on trial together before separate juries. They are both convicted of each murder and sentenced to life in prison with no parole. I felt Oakland County should have the death penalty for certain situations, and this was one of them. Although the murderers of Jesse Giles and Nancy Billiter are both behind bars, their senseless and selfish actions have affected two families forever. Jesse Giles, um, he was my strength, he was my lion, he was my father, he was everything to me. Nancy, she never stopped loving life. She always had my back, she always did, and I'm gonna miss her. And without the unusual early Michigan winter weather, the truth about what really happened to Nancy and Jesse might have never been known.
the weather dictates what evidence that you're going to be able to find.